Matthew chapter 10. How many of you are just sick of the news lately? Amen. Uh, it is, it's a mess, isn't it? It's a mess. How many of you know people that are affected right now by the uh, government shutdown? You know, there's, there's the crowd that feels bad and we're like, oh, the shutdown and it's affecting. How many of you are just, say, shut her down for good? You know, some, some are of that mindset. And, uh, and some of us know, know folks that work for the government. And so we're kind of disheartened for them. But, uh, you know, a phrase just over the last week that just kept popping up to me was a phrase that you've heard in the news about essential, empl- essential employees and non-essential employees. And uh, at first, you know, the logic of it says, well, if they're non-essential, why do we have them, you know? And, uh, and yet the other side is we know that sometimes we strip things down, go bare bone, and, and the bare minimum of what it takes just to run an operation. And, and that's really what they're getting at. But that phrase just kind of stuck with me all week, non-essential. How would you like to have your job be classified as non-essential? I mean, wouldn't that be interesting? We got our church directories, by the way. If you didn't get yours, they're here. Um, but uh, how would you like to see in the church directory, you open it up and has essential member, and then we got a page over here, non-essential members. <laughs> You know, wouldn't that be sad? That's kind of, and I kind of want to talk about that today. Here's a, from the Washington Post website dis- discussing the shutdown and the essential and non-essential employees. It says, does a shutdown mean everybody who works for the federal government has to go home? Not exactly. The laws and regulations governing shutdowns separate federal, federal workers into essential and non-essential. And he says, actually, the preferred term nowadays is accepted and non-accepted. I'm not quite sure I'd like that either too much. He says, this was tweaked in 1995 because non-essential seemed a bit hurtful, but we'll keep things simple. The Office of Management and Budget recently ordered managers at all federal agencies to conduct reviews to see which of their employees fall into each of these two categories. If the shutdown hits, the essential workers stick around, albeit without pay. The non-essential workers have to go home after a half day of preparing to close shop. The government estimates that roughly 800,000 workers will get sent home if the government shuts down. Obviously, it did. Uh, This leaves about 1.3 million essential federal workers and 1.4 million active-duty military members and 500,000 postal workers and other employees in independently funded agencies who will continue working. And so that was kind of that description of that. But I want to talk to you today about the idea that in God's kingdom, there are no non-essential members that uh, there are no shutdowns in God's kingdom, and everybody in God's kingdom matters. Everybody in God's kingdom matters. Most of you know I like country music. If you didn't know, I hope that doesn't break your heart and shatter your image of me. I'm selective about the music that I do choose to listen to. But uh, uh, one guy I I particularly like is Brad Paisley. How many of you are Brad Paisley fans? He wrote a song that kind of goes along with this essential and do you matter. And uh, I don't know that he wrote the song, but he performed it. I think he did write it. He says, to the teller down at the bank, you're just another checking account. To the plumber that came today, you're just another house. At the airport ticket counter, you're just another fare. At the beauty shop at the mall, well, you're just another head of hair. To the waiter at the restaurant, you're just another tip. To the guy at the ice cream shop, you're just another dip. (laughs) And then he sings in his chorus, you think you're one of millions, but you're one in a million to me. When you wonder if you matter... Look into my eyes and tell me you can't see that you're everything to me. And although that was a love song, you know, written to his gal, and I wonder how that went over when he said the 
ice cream shop thinks you're just a dip. But uh, he says, but to me, you're everything. And I believe God looks down to us, each and every one of us, and say, you may at times think you're just one of millions. But God looks down and says, but you're everything to me. I sent my son Jesus Christ to die for you because I love you. Isn't it good that we serve a God that no matter how full this world gets, still knows each and every one of us. He knows us by name. He knows us. In fact, he knew us, the Bible says, before we were even formed in our mother's wombs. God knew us. He knows the, the, the very hairs on our head, he says. I know those. And he knows our digits, our fingers, and our toes before we were born. God knows us because we matter to him. And I want to talk to you about that today. Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 to 31 say this, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. These are pretty uh, cheap birds by my estimation, wouldn't you think? That's, uh, that's even better than you'll get on chickens at R&N Market, isn't it? This is two sparrows for a penny. Of course, there's not much eating on a sparrow, is there? But he says these two insignificant little birds, they're small creatures, and their value isn't that much. Two for a penny. In our money system... You can't split that. You couldn't go to the counter and say, well, I'm kind of broke. I'll just take one instead, and I only have a half a penny. This is about as cheap as you you and I could ever get, isn't it? He says, two sparrows for a penny. And he says, and yet not one of them falls to the ground without your heavenly Father knowing that. God knows us just as well. And if God cares enough to notice a sparrow falling to the ground, this insignificant bird, this inexpensive bird, this little valued bird, if God recognizes them when they fall, I assure you he recognizes us when we have stumbled. He knows when we struggle. And he says, but even the hairs of your head are numbered. Now, for some of us, that's a little bit more difficult than for others of us, right? Uh, Some of those that are symbolically challenged, like to say that God knows them better than any of us because there's less to know. But he says, even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. You know, if I, if I were just to wrap that verse up into a simple statement, it's just you matter to God. You matter to God. And that's what I want to talk to you about. And I'll be brief this morning. I'm not going to take a long time. But I want to share with you the fact that you matter. And the first thing that you matter is you matter to this world that you live in. Every one of us. Have you ever heard someone say, you know, nobody cares. I don't matter. And this world, they've even made statements, this world would be better off without me. Boy, that's the devil's lie, isn't it? Because the reality is you matter to this world. That God put you here for a purpose and for a reason. That without you, this world would be a place that is lacking something that God intended to be here. You are here by design, by purpose. If this God that we serve knew us before we were even formed in our wombs, if He called our name then, if He knew our, our, our plan of our life, then certainly we matter in this world. Listen to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, and we find a little bit of why we matter. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp 
and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You and I matter to this world because we have been put here as salt and light. That this world, I mean, we read this little blurb from the newspaper about the government shutdown, but it wouldn't take long if this news story were to pass to find another one that was equally dark, right? We look around and we see all the crime and the hatred and the injustices in this world, and this world is a very cruel and dark place, isn't it? There is lots of wickedness that goes on. In fact, some of my favorite television shows happen to be some of these crime shows where they solve crimes. And and yet there are times when you watch that and you just say, this is really a sick world that we live in. And you and I matter because we shine as lights in this world that's filled with darkness. That's what God intended it to be. That's what God has put you here for. We're salt and light. And salt is this preservative. Salt adds taste to things. Salt is good in my home. And you and I are the salt of this earth. We're what's, what brings the savor to it. We're what preserves it. And we're the light. We're the, we're the light that someone sees in the midst of darkness that knows that everything's going to be okay. That there's hope. The other evening I was coming home uh, from the north end of town. And as I was coming home, I'd take the 156 over and I'd take my little Farmersville shortcuts. I'm a local now. I know these shortcuts. And, and so I'm cruising down the road in my Jeep, which is running, by the way. And I'm cruising down the road and, and I thought I could see something in the road. But I wasn't sure. And, and I couldn't see it. And, and I'm going and I'm cruising along. And I still, there's something moving up there. And I couldn't tell what it was. And, and finally, someone has a little pin light. And they're shining a little pin light, waving it at me. And so I hit my brights and thought I was two guys pushing a tractor down the middle of the road with no lights. I didn't get out and help. I would have, but I had to live to preach this message today. But that pin light, I mean, as soon as he, there was something there, there was a light, there was something shining in the darkness, and, and that pin light may have very well saved their lives and my life. You and I may be the light that saves someone else's life. We have got to shine, and we shine, he says in this passage, by our deeds or our good works. That God put us here, and, and we can be you know, colorful about it, to shine as lights, or we can just be plain and simple about it. He put us here to do good works, to draw people's attention to God so that they in turn will glorify God also. You're here for a purpose. You matter to this world. The, the friendly gesture that, that you give the grocery store clerk, that matters. The tip that you leave today or the tip that you don't leave today when you have your lunch, that matters and that leaves an impact. The way that you respond to faces that you come in contact with every day in your life, the smile that you give, the handshake, the pat on the back, all of these things are works. These are things that matter. These are what makes us matter. The food, as we had today, the pantry day, and we're building our pantry back up, and man, Thanksgiving's going to roll around, and Christmas, and we're going to give away a bunch of groceries to some people that need some help during the holiday season. And we matter because we do things like that. And if you really think about it as Christians, if we stop doing good works, then we lose our purpose, don't we? You and I matter. We have a purpose. We're salt and light. And our purpose ultimately is to lead people to glorify God. 
That's above everything else. Sure, we want their bellies full and we want them warm and and we want them happy and we want them to feel accepted. But above everything else, we want people to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Because you could feed a soul. We need to lead that soul to Christ. You matter to this world. You also matter to this church. And I think sometimes people forget that. That's easy to kind of forget or to be led to think that you don't. But I want to remind you today that you matter. By the way, if you were going to miss a Sunday, this should have been the Sunday you missed. The reason why is Joyce Martin's not here today. So she's not going to mark you down and have the pastor call you today. But uh, Sister Joyce is out of the hospital. If you've been praying for her, she's back home. And she'll be back next week. And I'll tell her who was missing. Don't you mistake. And she'll be on the phone. But uh, you matter to this church. And I promise you that you all are here today, but if you had missed, someone would have noticed. And man, it affects more people than you realize. Your face, your smile, your singing, no matter if it's good or bad, people miss that. You matter. You're important to your church. God places us in this church for a reason. And, and, And by the way, it's Him that places us here. We don't decide to put ourselves in the church and and the pastor doesn't put you in it. It's God that puts us in the church. You matter to this church. Listen to what the scripture says as Paul spoke to the church at Corinth. He says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the same spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an ear, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And when we could talk about that, that would be a long study, but really the simple answer to what he's saying is just you matter to the church. We're all very different here. Have you noticed that? Maybe you've sat quietly as someone walked in and you go, wow, they're different. (laughs) Don't feel bad because I promise you someone watched you walk in and said the same thing. And it's okay to be different. Kathy and I were talking about our daughters the other day. They're, they're all gone this weekend. We've been empty nesters for a few days. It ends tomorrow. And back to the drudgery. No. But they, they've been gone. They're, they're back east. And, and so we've been empty nesters, and we were talking about them. Here they're gone, and of all things to do, we talk about them. That, that doesn't sound good. But we were talking about how different they all three are. And yet they're all three trembles they're all three my daughters and her daughter i mean but they're so different but they belong and in the church it's the same way we're all different some of us have very odd and peculiar senses of humor some of us have no sense of humor you know some of us are tall and handsome like myself you know and thin and all these things others of you are kind of short and dumpy and you know need you know it's okay though We're all different, aren't we? But we all fit here. 
We all come from different backgrounds, and, and we all have different gifts and talents and abilities. The brother came up here and sang a while ago, and I'm like, man, that is, he just does it. And Sister Cottrell, every time she sings, I'm like, I tell her, you just do it so easy. It doesn't even seem like she tries when she sings. And, and Robin up here, she just plays away and sings, and that's just great. And there's others of us, man, we should just never sing, Right? That's just not our thing. It's not our gift. But we still belong to the body. Aren't you glad there's not a singing competition to be a member of the church? (laughs) We've actually gone pretty easy. You go to a membership class or you're baptized and you can become a member. Singing competitions might be interesting. Talent show. There we go. We're all different. But God intended it to be that way. There's not, your body's not made up of all eyes or ears or noses or feet. Some of us may be all mouth, but, uh, but we're all very different. But we all, now they're pointing fingers on the other side of the church. Now I feel guilty for stirring up the division here. But we all belong. There are many members, but one body. And what we need to do is find our place in the body. And I know that, that sometimes we have you know, seminars on finding your place in God's kingdom and identifying your spiritual gifts, but really, finding your place should amount to basically just do what you do. You know, I didn't have to figure out that this was an eye. It just does what it does, and yeah, that's an eye. And this, this over here, you know, I never have confused this with my mouth, you know. I know right where the food is supposed to go, and I know where the music goes. And what I'm getting at is these things, what comes natural to you is more than likely your gift. And that's where you should be working. And if if you just naturally are are drawn to teach children, that's probably your gift. If you just naturally push kids away, that's probably not your gift. You probably need to find somewhere else to fit in in the body. If you sing, then that's probably what you ought to be doing. If you teach, but find what you do and do it for God. In fact, Sometimes the strangest of gifts go unnoticed. Sometimes there's folks in the congregation that have a gift or a talent that no one knows about. You need to think about your gift and say, could I use this for God? If your gift is sewing or quilting, and I know many of the ladies do that, you know, you could use that gift for God. In fact, I think Elaine, is it Elaine that just, Elaine, there you are. She does afghans and crochets, and, and this Christmas, when we go over to Westgate and give out gifts, uh, she generally has lap blankets for all of the tenants over there. She has taken her gift and says, I don't sing, and I don't teach, and I don't preach, but man, I can crochet, and I can do it fast. And she uses that for God. If it's cooking, cook. If you can't figure out who to give the cooking to, call me. I'll I'll hook you up. My gift happens to be eating, right? We'll work well together. Find your place in the body, but you matter to the church. And when you don't do what you're supposed to do or what you were meant to do, it affects the church. Use your gifts for God. God puts us in the body. Most important this morning... You not only matter to this world and to this church, but you matter to God. You matter to God. Let me read to you the story of Zacchaeus. We've all heard it, right? If we haven't heard it, we've maybe sung of Zacchaeus. You know, he was the wee little man crawled up in the sycamore tree. 
It says, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. We know he wasn't free will Baptist. <laughs> and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So we're finding out some things about Zacchaeus. He, he was rich. He was a chief tax collector. He was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now, I don't think there was any coincidence that Jesus crossed the path that day. I think Jesus, this was planned. This was part of God's plan. And for him to pass that, and Jesus said, today I must abide at your house. This was part of God's plan all along for Zacchaeus. So he says, hurry down, get down from that tree. I must abide at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. So we know he's a tax collector. He's rich. He's small in stature. He's very limber. He climbs trees. He's also a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You matter to God. Zacchaeus mattered to God that day. In fact, as I said, I think Christ was looking for Zacchaeus. And he ends that passage by saying, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Why? Because Zacchaeus mattered. And you matter to God. Let me give you some things that don't matter in this story. Status doesn't matter in this story, does it? Jesus went to his house, and when we find Zacchaeus, what does it say? He's the chief tax collector, and he is rich. Those are pretty high status symbols, aren't they? But status doesn't matter. It doesn't matter today if you're rich or poor. You still matter to God. It doesn't matter if you are hip and cool or if you are nerdy. You matter to God, right? It doesn't matter if you're good looking or if you're average or you're just plain. You still matter to God. Your status in this world has nothing to do with whether or not you matter to God. It didn't matter if he was the tax collector or he was rich. That wasn't why Christ was there that day. And it doesn't matter today if you live in a a big house or a small house or if you live in in a brick house or a mobile home. It doesn't matter. Your status in this world doesn't matter. We need to know that. That God didn't come just to find certain statuses of people. He came to save all mankind. The Lord is not willing that any should perish. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Status doesn't matter. And stature doesn't matter either, does it? I think there was a reason he said Zacchaeus was a very short man. It didn't work too well for seeing Jesus because he was hidden by the crowds, but he was determined and he climbed in that tree to see Christ. That says a lot about the emphasis that Zacchaeus placed on seeing Jesus, doesn't it? 
that he would, here's this rich man, this chief tax collector, and he would do something as crazy and undignified as climbing up into a tree to see Jesus. It saddens us sometimes when we think of what we won't do to see Jesus. We live in such a society of just easiness, convenience. It is so easy for us to go to church and Bible studies and worship services, and and yet we struggle with it. But here was Zacchaeus willing to climb a tree and look like a monkey. But stature doesn't matter. Today, your size doesn't matter. You might be here and you might be one of those skinny beanpole type people that I am so envious of. Or you, like me, might be just short for your weight. Your size doesn't matter. Your age doesn't matter, does it? That has a lot to do with our stature. And whether you're here today and you're three years old out in the nursery or or junior church this morning, you matter to God. And if you're in here and you're 90-something, you matter to God. I was in Costco the other day and this old guy walks up and sits down and Kathy got onto me because I was eavesdropping, but I'm, I'm honest, I was. But he was talking, and I guess he was in his 80s, and he was talking, he was 97. You know what? He matters to God. Because age has nothing to do with it. Stature has nothing to do with it. You might be strong and come in here, and man, you just you carry the world on your shoulders. You're, you're Hercules. Everyone else looks at you to lift things. And, and yet you might be feeble and, and, and not able to barely lift yourself and get here. You matter to God. You may have walked in here today. You may have skipped in here today. We got a couple that wheelied in here on a motorcycle today. They didn't really wheelie. But your your stature doesn't matter. You may have walked in here with a walker. We've had those. And you may have rode in here, amen, Bob, in your scooter. Your physical stature doesn't matter. You do matter. God loves you. God cares for you. And God wants you to be a part of his kingdom. You matter to him. Status doesn't matter. Stature doesn't matter. And you know what? Our sins don't matter. They matter in one regard, but they don't in another. They need to be dealt with. We need a remedy for our sins. But Zacchaeus, the people said, he is a sinner. And yet Jesus sought him out. And said, Zacchaeus, I want to go to your house today. Because his sins didn't matter to Christ that day. Zacchaeus mattered to Christ. And you might be here today and and maybe your life has been a wreck. Maybe you've done things that that you should have never done, that, that no one should have ever done. But this morning, right now, you need to know that you matter more than what you've done. That God loves you. That God died. He sent Jesus Christ to die on an old rugged cross. Even when we were in the depths of our sins, He died for us because we matter to Him. You might be here and you say, but but I've been on drugs. It it doesn't matter. God loves you. You might be here and you say, but but man, I've been so hooked on alcohol. God loves you. You might be here and you've got a, a secret life that no one knows about. It doesn't matter. What matters is that God loves you and he has salvation for you. 
You matter to God. All have sinned, the Bible says, and have fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But what really matters is the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's not a sin He will not forgive. He can deal with these things. You matter. Your salvation matters this morning. There was a preacher's wife named Sevilla Martin. And I ran across an entry from her journal. She was back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and she traveled with her husband as he spoke at revivals and different churches. And at one instance, she was in New York. And let me share with you her journal entry. She said, early in the spring of 1905, my husband and I were sojourning in Elmira, New York. We contracted a deep friendship for a couple by the name of Mr. and Mrs. Doolittle, true saints of God. Doolittle, Mrs. Doolittle, had been bedridden, bedridden for nigh 20 years. Her husband was an incurable cripple who had to propel himself to and from his business in a wheelchair. Despite their afflictions, they lived happy Christian lives, bringing inspiration and comfort to all who knew them. One day, while we were visiting with the Doolittles, my husband, husband commented on their bright hopefulness and asked them for the secret of it. Mrs. Doolittle's reply was simple. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. What she was saying is, I matter to God. The beauty of this simple expression of boundless faith gripped the hearts and fired the imagination of Dr. Martin and me, she said. It only took a few minutes for Sevilla to turn these words into a poem that we know today as his eye is on the sparrow. Walter, her husband, tried writing music for the poem but was never satisfied with it, so a short time later he mailed it off to a composer friend in England, Charles Gabriel, who wrote the melody and the music that we sing today. The words say, why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. She said, let not your heart be troubled, his tender word I hear. And resting on his goodness, I lose my doubts and fears. Though by the path he leadeth but one step, I may see. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Whenever I'm tempted, whenever clouds arise, when songs give place to sighing, when hope within me dies, I draw the closer from him. I draw the closer to him. From care he sets me free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. But I love the chorus. She says, I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. If that tiny sparrow matters to God, I promise you this morning, you matter to God. Your salvation matters. Your life matters. Your hurts matter. Your worries matter. You matter. 